Welcome to the Healing Circle podcast, where we talk about everything mental health, faith, and relationships. Though this show is hosted by a licensed therapist, that's me, Kobe, I am not your therapist. These amazing conversations are meant to provide psychoeducation and start some good conversation, but they're not meant to be a substitute for real therapy services. We're excited to learn, grow, and talk with you guys. So let's jump into today's episode. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Healing Circle podcast. I'm Kobe. I'm Kyle. And Kyle really almost messed up this entire intro, and that's why he's <laughs> holding back a laugh. I was like, Kyle, I'm literally, I'm literally pressing record. Why are you out here making jokes and cackling into the mic? She asked if I was ready, and then it, I don't know what the song is, but there's some Beyonce song where it's like, "You ready?" It's like her and Jay Z. Yeah. Something. How do you not know the the title "Crazy in Love"? I'm not really, I'm not part of the Bay Hive, Beehive. Oh my God. What is Kyle, it? You don't have to be a part of the Beehive to know Crazy in Love. I mean, I know the song. Uh, oh, uh, oh, 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 no, no. What? She says Crazy in Love somewhere in there. Okay. Right? And now I'm doing my very best to not be embarrassed. Okay. So I'm just going to move on. You guys, we are so excited to be back chatting with you guys. This reparenting season has been hitting different. It has been hit, hitting yeah. different. The, the feedback has been crazy. It's insane. Literally insane. We, I'm like, y'all know we uh, we just out here talking, right? <laughs> <laughs> it has been uh, amazing. You guys, we have almost, what's after quadrupled? Quintuple. We have almost quintupled our listenership. Since we yeah. started this season and woo, so yeah. many of us have been like for me in my head, I'm like, man, so many of us have been longing for healing and longing for words to put to our pain. And we just haven't had that until now. Yeah, And so I'm incredibly grateful that we get to provide this resource to people and even more grateful that people are receiving it and seeing themselves in these, in these episodes that we're, we're curating. Yeah, it's been really cathartic to know that our personal struggle struggles ooh, struggles. <laughs> see, that's one of my struggles. Um, these kids will take your ability Brad, to speak, take everything just from snatch you, it right out of your mouth. Yeah, we're recording um, this right after bedtime, and <laughs> they dragged us for filth. I feel like Levi grabbed me by the ponytail and just ran a lap. Yeah. <sighs> Strong child. Um, but it's been cathartic to know that, like, our personal experiences are resonating with people. Yeah, it Makes for sure. you feel like, oh, okay, maybe I'm not, like, the crazy person standing on the corner or something, like, yeah. in, proverbially. And I'm, yeah. I'm not trying to be callous. But I just yeah. mean, like, sometimes you can feel so alone mm -hmm. in what you're dealing with. And it shouldn't matter, maybe. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But it really does matter. It yeah. means a lot. I wish I could, I wish I had the capacity to be quite honest. I know that I don't, but I wish I had the capacity to create like support groups, 
you know, where we yeah. could just like, and not even where I'm facilitating, but where I just have like a Facebook group for people who are reparenting to like mm. jump in and share what's going on and get encouragement from other people. And maybe someone's just one step ahead of them in their reparenting process uh, for enmeshment or codependency or emotional constriction and just getting that, that community yeah especially when not even having someone one step ahead of you having someone a few steps behind you is also super helpful in it a is. weird way no yeah it, you're it like, you like you that you see moved. it with fresh eyes like whoa yeah that is really a problem mm-hmm. and it's interesting you can always tell other people's issues like oh yeah that's that's Girl, not you need to nip well. that nip it nip it now yeah you gotta get that now uh-huh and <laughs> it's I think it's also cool to see that what often feels like our personal individual character-based responses are actually pretty universal. Like that is always really cool. Even for me, my own therapy, I'm like, well, because of how I operate and my therapist is like, you, and I'm Mm -hmm. like, first of all, Adrian, back up, Yeah, mind your business. And you're right. (laughs) Carlos. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I have a friend at work. I'm going to shout you out right now. Christelle, if you're listening, I I hope you feel slightly embarrassed. Hey, Christelle. (laughs) Um, But we we talk every once in a while, and she comes up, and she's just like, we're the same person. Yeah, I believe it. I believe it. She's like, you'll say something, and I'll be like, oh, that's me, that's me. Or my husband will be like, that's you, that's you. (laughs) Shout out to Ace. Um, And it's just cool because you're like, oh, yeah, like, this is – my my therapist helped me so much because he was he pounded over and over and over into me for probably the first year of our relationship. You are normal. Your response to your trauma is typical. Yeah. If you put on like a board, this happened to me. Yeah. All the things that you do, all the things you struggle with, yeah. I would be able to fill in the blanks. Yeah. Like absolutely. This is normal for yeah. you. Like you're not off. You're not weird. You're yeah. not broken. This is what human beings do in response to this trauma. And that perspective was so important for me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it is a reminder of why community is so incredibly important. And now, you know, Kyle, I stay overbooking myself, but now I'm like, what if we did create, babe, just think about, just think about the healing that would happen if we created just support groups. Again, I wouldn't facilitate it, but just, you know what? This sounds like a Chantal job. Chantel, if you're listening, I'll at your boy. I love her. She's our assistant, and she is absolutely amazing. Um, She's the GOAT. You know what? You guys let me know. When this episode comes out, you guys let me know if you would join like a support group where you guys just jumped in and talked about where you are in your healing process and prayed for each other and and you know shared encouragement and shared highs and lows. Mm-hmm. My Me and my therapist friends, we call them roses and thorns. We get together. The first oh, thing we do, good. yeah, first thing we do is all right, everyone, roses and thorns. What's been a sweet thing lately, and what's been, you know, something a little prickly. <laughs> so yeah, you know what? Maybe we'll do it. You guys, I stay, I stay over committing. That's oh, what I'm bro. reparenting from. Maybe that needs to be episode. Hey, okay, episode whatever we're on. Yeah. Um, today we are talking about something a little bit different Mm -hmm. and it's a little bit different because we created this term. By we, she. I created this term. So if you see it in somebody's book or podcast or something, just know it started here and Mm -hmm. run us our coin. Yeah. Um, but Kyle and I 
started talking probably four or five months ago mm-hmm. and Kyle would like come home and like share something and everything he shared was through the lens of comparison. It was never, I am good or mm-hmm. I, or I did that well. It was never, I didn't do a good job or I could have, you know, I didn't do that the way I wanted to. It was always, I did it better than someone else or yeah. worse than someone else. Everything's relative. Yes. And, and he I don't even know that <laughs> phrase. I literally want it that phrase people. to burn in the ninth <laughs> ring of hell. Everything's relative. And I'm like, sure. But also lots of things are salient as well. Even like personal things that really aren't relevant. Like someone will literally yesterday, two days ago, I was hanging out with my pastor. He asked me, do you like theology? The answer to that is yes. yes. I'm a theology nerd. Yeah. But he's got a doctorate and another degree. Um, And he's like an actual super nerd. And so I was like, well, it's relative. Um, Yes. And then I was like, well, you know, people ask me if I can sing. Yeah, I can sing, but I'm friends with KJ Scriven. Have you heard Man of Your Word? I don't sing like that, right? (laughs) So relative to him, no, I don't sing. Relative to a person that can't sing at all, like tries out for American Idol and we all laugh at them, I can't sing. Yeah. And I didn't know that that wasn't like right yeah Normal? well healthy? I was, uh, healthy that's the word we don't necessarily want to like pigeonhole ourselves into right and wrong because that can get messy um but i think it's not healthy because it implies that your 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 identity is not salient it is always fluid based on external context right yeah. and like the more we talked about it the more he kind of talked about how you know baby showed up in your childhood Mm-hmm. And how it was it was never like, oh, you did great at that. It was you did better than this person yeah. or this person did worse than you. And I don't even think it was intentional, but no. I don't think that you realized how much of the validation, you know, that you experience often and more in the past, but the validation you experience is rooted in I need to be better than someone else. Yeah. Or someone needs to be worse than me or I am worse than someone else. It's like always this like top bottom comparison. Mm, very like, hierarchical. Yes. Even the idea that I'm a twin, but for most of my life and to this day, I've been considered my my little brother's big brother. Yeah. We're three hours apart, three and a half hours apart. But the way that I'm like our relational dynamic is I'm his big brother. I think of him as my little brother. Yeah. And part of that's like fine and cute and whatnot. But more of it has a lot to do with the idea that like, at least in my family, there really wasn't a place for two people to be equal. Ooh. ooh like, ooh. and that's something I'm literally realizing as I say it. I know. I'm <laughs> like, we did not I'm talk like about you did not, we did not process this. It's okay. But there was no spot for us to be the same. Yeah. And so to recognize some natural giftings between the two of us, it was just like, okay, like you're the big brother. Yeah. Um, and I think specifically if we want to put more language to that mm. and just be vulnerable and process this live with everybody. Here we go. Them saying you're the big brother was them implicitly and indirectly saying you have more gifts that we value. Yes. And so we and are thusly a responsibility, which yeah. is uh, maybe that's a different episode. Yeah. But the 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 tying hierarchy and everything you do to a corresponding burden 
at least in my my culture it's like kind of something i wrestle with yeah yeah absolutely. <laughs> even to the point of like and it, and it travels right like all of these different things my brother is a phenomenal writer oh my gosh amazing world-class writer always yeah. has been they, know, they they used to think he was cheating on his papers in middle school because they're like, there's no way a middle school writes like writes like this. He took a writing test in seventh or eighth grade, got like one of the top twenty five scores in the nation, like in the nation out of every seventh or eighth grade. I don't remember what grade, and he left that feeling like he wasn't a very good writer. Stopped writing really. Hmm. The, the idea, idea that, that in a nation full of people, he was only top 25 was like, oh, well, if you're not first, like, then, you know, you know, the rest. You know, Ricky, Bob, okay. okay, this is the second time we brought it up. <laughs> Talladega Nights is a prophetic move, okay? It's a movie. Please, everyone needs to watch it. It's got life lessons for everyone. If you're not first, you're last. Um, that, that's a key theme there. And I think we should all explore it in our free time. Um, but that motif, like that hierarchical, that comparative identity is baked into the way I was kind of raised. And it wasn't, yeah, it was on purpose, but I don't think anyone intended anything negative from it. Yeah. Well, you know what? I think, I think it's actually rooted in motivation Mm -hmm. and motivating people because a lot of people don't know how to motivate outside of the lens of shame, anxiety, or fear, (laughs) including our parents. I feel attacked. And so they're like, I must shame you into doing better. Mm -hmm. Did you see Sally Mae? She's doing so much better than you. I saw that she ran two seconds faster than you. Fear is if you don't do this, then you, you may not get into the college that you want. Anxiety is that constant worry. Do you think you did that well? Maybe you should go over that again, right? Mm-hmm. Shame, fear, and anxiety, like we have been taught culturally, we've been taught generationally that that's what motivates us and that's what gets us what we want and that's what gets us the life that we're trying to build. But when we have that comparative identity, our internal uh, world, peace, our identity is externally focused. Yeah. Always, right? And as we know from the last year and a half, the world is always changing, which means our identity is always changing. There's no anchor. There's, you know what I'm saying? Like there's Mm. no, there's no place to land. And I think a lot of people's mental and emotional instability comes from that. And I don't say instability in an insensitive way. I think Mm -hmm. sometimes people can talk about mental health in a way that's weaponizing almost like, Mm -hmm. Oh, she is not well. She is, you know, he is this, he's, and I'm like, I have not been well yeah. <laughs> and I'm a therapist. I have struggled with depression. Yeah. I have struggled with anxiety. You've seen me on days where I couldn't get out of bed. Mm-hmm. You've seen me on days where I'm like, babe, I can't help you with the kids. Can you see if my sister can come help? I've been there. Yeah. And so I don't say um, mental instability to be like accusatory with anyone because it mm-hmm. includes myself. Yeah. Cause I mean, also as I've, worked on the healing circle, I've realized a lot of my motivation when it wasn't rooted in shame, fear, anxiety, mm-hmm. hilarious wellness organization rooted in motivated by someone who's leading it from shame, fear, and anxiety. Uh-huh. Um, when I didn't have those things to motivate me, I didn't know what motivated me. Bro. And, right. the, and that me, in between, should we write this down because we need a podcast on that. <laughs> like it was like I had no clue what motivated me 
because coming from, you know, a first-generation immigrant West African household, it was always about getting to the top. But, like, yeah. what is the top? It's like, <laughs> like, what is it? Kyle is, like, out here typing, like, you know that Kermit the Frog meme where he is, like, typing crazy? Leave me alone. Kyle's out here typing, boy. Funnily enough, the reason I type so fast, my dad brought us all into the living room one random summer. I bought this computer software for typing. Whoever has the fastest words per minute by the end of the summer gets, you know, $100, which, you know, in kid, in kid well, actually, especially I'll take $100 right now. So period. Especially in the 90s? Yeah, in the 90s, that's that was, basically a million dollars. You know how much candy you can get for that? <laughs> um, and my brother and I would stay up, like, till 2 in the morning on that typing tutor, Dang. like, trying to win. And we were like, of course, whoever wins. We're going to share the money. Yeah. But, but also, whoever loses, building you just got to submit for the rest of our lives. So, so Brent is a better typer than me. I'm upholding the, the rule that we put together when we were 12 years old. Forever and always, Brent's a better typer than me because he can type 142 words a minute. And I only type 119. And so the example of, like, assessing and kind of exploring comparative identity which i promise we're going to define we just kind of like naturally <laughs> started talking about it but um is not saying oh well, brenton's a better typer than you it's like well how do you feel about your typing you want me to answer that right now yeah like outside of the lens of brent doing typing faster than you and you knowing exactly how many words per minute he can type how do you feel about your typing Okay, I. I, I have a lot of shame about my typing. Really? I'm the fastest typer I know, except for my brother. And it's like, well, we're twins. But I should be able... It makes me feel like I'm not a faster typer because I'm lazy. Mm. If I just work harder, I, sh I should be able to... Ooh. And this is all... I don't all... know anybody that types faster than me, except for him. If Brent... If I, and hear my heart in this. Sorry. If Brent did not exist, how would you feel about your typing? I have no idea. I guess good. But it would only be that because answer. other people say I type fast. Exactly. So all of what you're saying is extraly focused. Because when I asked you how you felt, you said, I have no idea. And the second thing you said is it's based on how other people feel. And people who deal with comparative identity have no clue how they feel about themselves or their acts or their words or their work. It, it's not the same as codependence, mm -hmm. but it is. Um, it has a lot of overlap. They have no internal voice of validation. And so without external validation, they are shriveling because they're tossed by the winds and the waves. They have no clue where they're standing. They have no ability yeah. to locate where they are in life without the compass of other people's validation. So before we go forward, let's define it for the people, okay? <laughs> 18 minutes in, you're finally getting the definition. Here We're we so go. We're so sorry, guys. We love you. Um, so comparative identity. Comparative identity is an identity that is rooted in and finds value through competition and comparison with others. Identity that is rooted in and finds value through competition and identity with others. So... Kyle, can you share some of the ways to identify whether someone has a comparative identity based on what we defined? <laughs> All I'm doing is looking in the mirror here. Um, so I'd say one good way is um, you find primary value in being better than others at something. Mm -hmm. um, and being good, but being better than yeah. others. And I would also even add like 
primary devaluing of self is rooted in being worse than others, right? Because yeah. the only thing that made you disappointed in your typing skills was the fact that someone was better than you at it. Yeah. Anyways, go ahead. Yeah, we we could we could dive deep into just typing. Um, your performance and your presence is rooted in anticipating how others will perceive you. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's it's oh, not even almost like when you said it likes because I don't type faster than Brett, it makes me think that I'm lazy. Right. Yeah. Which is about perception. If we're just pulling something out of the air, mm-hmm. sure. Just making it up, you know. Um <laughs> We wrote these before this and now I'm realizing Kobe was just like, Oh, what is Kyle struggling with? Um <laughs> you struggle to be internally validated. Mm-hmm. Uh check. Um you're motivated to do your best work when you have the opportunity to do better than another person. Uh, check. Your, <laughs> your internal voice is constantly assessing who you are better or worse than. Okay. It's getting old, but check. Um, preoccupation with internally ranking yourself in relation to others. This thing is huge for me. Yeah. I had to, I spent, I still fall, uh, find myself falling into ranking Kobe. Like, when I tell, I used to tell Kobe, like, I loved her more than my brother. And I'd be like, so? You, or you sometimes like, I would say, I love you, I love you more than everyone except my brother. And I I thought it was yeah. a compliment. Oh, my gosh. Into marriage. For, yeah, into, into marriage. marriage. And it was like, like, you're my second favorite person oh, yeah. in the world. Yeah, Brett, Brett was my sister wife. <laughs> I, emotionally and i had like to be honest like for a while i like accepted that i was like you know what and like i can say it now with like a chuckle because that's not where we are now mm-hmm. but like at that point i kind of accepted i was like i will never because you know cue back to our last episode of measurement mm-hmm. it was like i will never ever be able to compete with kyle's twin brother so you know what brent come on in <laughs> just make sure you do the dishes <laughs> like this boy i don't care yeah um yeah i i rank everyone because i rank everything i do yeah it's never whether i've been good or bad it's like oh well even people ask me questions and i have very specific numbers i'm mm. like, like oh like well how do you feel today and i'm like oh 8.34 like well okay that's weird yeah but i'm always like everything i do is like okay it's in reference to something else or something someone else or a a metric i'm always trying to place myself in the right scale am i good are you good at what you do Mm -hmm. if i'm not careful i only ever answer that in terms of i may be i'm probably in the top 20 in the country of people who do what i do and I think I'm probably 14. Um, but it's like, that's, that's not the answer. answer. Like, that wasn't not, the question. Listen, I, I, y'all, I will tell you what. I love I love Kyle to death. But I'd be telling him, I'm like, Kyle, that's not what I asked you. <laughs> that's not what I asked you. That's not what I asked you is going to be on a tombstone. I'm like, that's not what I asked you. He'd be like, well, I'm like, you're answering a question that you think I'm asking, but I didn't ask that. Let's talk about what I asked. And I'm like, that's not what your I asked question you. isn't a good question. Ask the question I'm I'm answering. Oh my gosh! You, so you really are answering the question you want me to ask? I think it's the best question, but we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. I'm sure. Um, okay, ranking. Um, have low internal motivation. 
Yeah. Um, Which is what we talked about. Like, I don't know how I'm motivated. And and positive and negative feelings about yourself live externally, i.e. you need someone else to tell you what you feel and don't feel. Yeah. It's not this internal, if no one's in the room yeah. um, but you, it's very difficult to understand what you are feeling. Yeah. It makes me think about, um, we were listening to a Dr. Becky podcast and she gave this exa- example about, uh, she was talking about praise with kids. So it's a little different, but I felt like it applied. She was talking about like, if a kid like does a painting, like internally being, your, val- your value being internally like focused and generated, that's the word I'm looking for, internally generated says, before I go show mommy and daddy, I love this. I like this. Look at all the cool colors I put on there. This is great having those good feelings about yourself generated externally mm-hmm. is about making it. And before you even look at it and figure out what you feel about it, going to someone else and saying, how do you feel about it? Mm-hmm. Tell me how I should feel about myself since I created this. Yeah. Right. Tell me about how I should feel either proud or ashamed of the work I've done. Right. It it gives us no ability to hold on to internally generated esteem for yeah. ourselves. Yeah. It just doesn't exist. We constantly get our esteem based on what other people say. And there's so many different things that affect that. What if that you're you know, partner with someone who's enmeshed or someone mm-hmm. who's codependent or yep. someone who's emotionally constricted and is not going to give you the praise in the way that you want it, right? That is why our feelings yeah. about ourselves have to be internally generated. And I don't say that as something that combats the gospel that many of us ascribe to, but like to think if the Holy Spirit indwells, right? The Holy Spirit is in you. Those good feelings generating from yourself, inside yourself, that can be spirit-led. Yeah. And is spirit-led, right? So let's talk a little bit about where this comes from. Kind of cover this a little bit, but for the most part, I think there are a range of experiences that can create this, but I think for the most part, it comes from being taught in childhood to orient our value externally based on how others felt about us rather than how we feel about ourselves. Mm, yeah. So <laughs> a really disgusting and semi-cute example, Levi eats in a way that will make you never oh, want to God. put a piece, of, <laughs> a piece of food to your mouth again. The way he eats is just, honestly, I feel like it's disgusting. I'm just going to be honest. Oh, no, so it is. we made some rice and some onion chicken drumsticks. So it's like drumsticks with like garlic, salt, onion, ginger, you know, pepper, all this stuff, right? Mm. We give Levi a cup of apple juice. Oh no, my stomach hurts. <laughs> I have do this story quick. I have oh tongue. god, don't! <laughs> if you're eating, stop. So he takes the drumstick, which is like covered in like it's like coated in seasoning. Takes a bite of it, dips it in the apple juice, and scoops the like like the apple juice oh that's god. on the chicken. He's sucking it. He's like, <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> he's sucking the apple juice out of. <laughs> the very <laughs> no, not right now. The very savory chicken chicken uh drumstick. 
And we gave him, I would say it was probably like four and a half ounces of juice. He drank the entire thing. Oh, God. The dredges of his juice cup had cups, had little pieces of like cracked black floating pepper, little floating chicken, pieces of chicken. Chicken skin. He drank yeah. the whole cup. Yeah. One scoop of it. his drumstick at a, time. at a time. It was all I could do not to throw him and the table <laughs> outdoors and start over. Kobe was like, no, no, no. You got to let. He enjoys it. He enjoys it. And I'm just like. This yes. is serial killer behavior. <laughs> this, this is just, uh, this is a warning sign. Kyle. This cannot be okay. So, my immediate instinct is to run to him, and whether I recognize it or not, I can say retrospectively, my immediate response was to run to him and shame him and be like, "No, that's disgusting. That's gross. You, yeah. Levi, what are you doing?" Right? Like my brain wanted because naturally my brain's like shame him so he'll know it's not okay and then he'll stop. Right. Mm-hmm. But I had to stop myself for a second and like as I'm like holding back my gags, I'm looking at him and I'm like, why does it matter that he likes to eat what I eat? And why does it matter that he likes to consume things the way I want to consume them? Mm -hmm. And having to look at him and instead of like, you know, berating him or or like acting like it was disgusting, me and Kyle, we. Oh, God. As we're recording right now, it's like he heard us and we, he's upstairs like screaming our names. He, he'll be all right, though. Um, so instead of like trying to like get him to stop, I said, Levi, do you like it? He said, mm-hmm, it's nummy, it's nummy. Oh, God. And he was like, mommy, you want some? He like offered some to, to me. And I was like, oh, no, thank you, baby. So, so sweet of you to share that with mommy. But that was a moment where I could have been like, that's disgusting, Levi. Other kids don't do this. Mm-hmm. And now his internal voice is uh, that I'm creating. Parents create the internal voices of their children. Yeah. Whether they recognize it or not. Parents create the internal voices of their children. I could have, in that moment, aided in creating an internal voice for him that was rooted in now assessing everything he does against what his peers do. Right? Because he could have been yeah. like... Oh well, like thinking about if that developed and I did that mm-hmm. regularly, what would come of that is him having to say, "Well, are other kids doing this?" Because the, the mommy voice yeah. said other kids aren't doing this, mm-hmm. so now other people are the gauge for what's right and wrong, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I think that we, in childhood, which is why we need to reparent ourselves, uh, bind ourselves constantly in comparison and, like. Uh, I said it earlier, it's not about like I did better than or worse than. It's about what do you feel about it? Yeah. And many of us don't know what the answer is. Yeah, we, we had to Kobe had to teach me how to ask Levi, what do you feel? There's nothing in me that when he was like, Daddy, 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 look, look. I love that little W. He eats his owls. They must be delicious because he's just constantly swallowing those things um look look uh to some artwork whatever i'm like oh that's beautiful bud good job and she'd be like no like you need to ask him how do you feel yeah because we want to be intentional about helping him develop an internal understanding of what he feels and thinks yeah. that's foreign to me i'm like bro he, i mean we all know it it's not great all right oh what do you- 
right? but that's not true. He actually he thinks, thinks it's great. It's amazing. Yep. When we call our grandparents, he will go find his most recent artwork and, and bring it to the phone. Run as fast as he can. To show people the squiggles that to him are a T-Rex. Yeah. And he thinks it's amazing. It doesn't matter what I think. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm not used to that. I, that felt weird. That felt almost um. Yeah. Felt like I was setting my kid up for failure. Yeah. By even entertaining the mm. idea that you could be internally motivated. Mm, yeah, I think the difference. I'm just like thinking as you're talking. I think the difference between this and codependency is. I think codependent people have like no clue what <laughs> their inner voice is, and it's like you know hops from people to people. But I think people who struggle with comparative identity know where to find their value, know where to find that inner voice. And mm-hmm. that's in comparison, right? And they do that because for just a moment, it feels good. Yeah. For just a, at the core of all trauma recovery is safety. For just a moment, it feels safe for everyone to look at you and say, good job. Yeah. Like it, it, it feels safe for everyone to say, you're the best. There's no one better than you. Why? Because it makes you feel like you are occupying a space that is just for you, that no one can have until they take it from you. Yeah. So it creates a sense of defensiveness. Mm -hmm. It's hard to develop intimacy with people. It's hard to develop community with people, especially when the community of people God's sending you are people who do things similarly as you. Whether it's art, whether it's yeah. parenting, whether it's preaching and teaching, whether it's, you know, whatever it is, it's hard mm-hmm. to look at another person and not see competition. And we cannot abide with people we're competing against. Yep. You turn people into a milestone and, yeah. you know, they, they just become a referendum of where you are. They're mm-hmm. not people anymore. Yeah. They're, they're proof that you haven't made it. Yeah. <laughs> or they're proof that you have. Yeah. And part of that is like really cultural, right? Yeah. Like in, in communities that are disadvantaged, that have low resources, like the narrative is how do you know you've made it? Mm-hmm. You're no longer around these people anymore, mm-hmm. right? Like you've changed. Oh, like you, you made it out of the hood. How do you know you've made it? Like you're no, it's all comparison based. Yeah. And I also think that that's so true of communities of faith. Mm. Like I, I no longer do that. I no longer drink anymore. Mm-hmm. At least I don't do this. I don't this. dance no more. I make money moves though. I make money moves now you in the know, name of Jesus. Congrats, Cardi, on the second pregnancy. Um, but yeah, I, I think that especially in faith communities, what happens is who's the better preacher? Who's the better <laughs> singer? Well, I'm a better singer than her, so I should have more opportunity than her. I'm yeah. a better preacher than him, so I should have more opportunity than him or her, right? And it like turns into this like God has called us to abide with each other. Each other, like I said, we can't abide with people we're competing against, right? And that's not just an emotional like sociological thing. That's a biological thing, right? When we are feel when we're defensive, it's because we feel threatened. When we're threatened the right posterior part of our brain, the amygdala is lit up. That's the fight, flight, freeze system, right? The prefrontal cortex is a part of the brain that derives meaning and connection. It holds our personality, all of that stuff, prefrontal cortex. But the amygdala, right posterior, and the prefrontal cortex can't be awakened at the same time. They can't be activated Mm. at the same time. We literally physically cannot abide with people that we don't feel safe with. And for many of us, we feel safe with no one because everyone is a threat to the position of better than us. 
you know, everyone, like if we're, if we're at the number one spot, everyone is a threat because only one person can get to the number one spot. And in our head, everyone's trying to get for that, get to that spot, you know? And like, I know that I used to really struggle with comparison and in some ways still do. And part of the way I, you know, we'll talk more in our next episode about reparenting, but part of the way I got out of rather began to reparent myself in that was having to say to you, I don't know if you remember these conversations of like, babe, I really love that you support me, but I would really love if you would affirm me outside of the context of comparison. Yeah. Like, you're, like, you're doing a great job. You know, this person only did this. Yeah. They, you know it, how many therapists would kill to be yeah. where you are? Uh-huh. And like, you know, you're so young and you're already so successful. Look, you yeah. got, you know, you've, you've got 30 under 30 and you only 25, girl. You got another five years to be, you know, how many other people. Yeah. And know, it was 29 to, and they ain't made it yet. All this stuff. It was supposed to be sweet, but it was daunting. Yeah. Because it reminded me, it, it, it left no room for rest. Mm. It reminded me I was still in a race. Yeah. And I needed to sit down. And, um, you know, in my spirit, I did. I was like, I don't really care. Like, I, I had to get to a place where, like, I had to care about serving the people God has put in my heart. Creating resources for the people that God says are out there longing for them. Mm-hmm. And it cannot be about assessing my goodness, my worthiness based on someone else's life. Yeah. It just it just can't be that, right? And you know, I was mentioning about how at the core all trauma is rooted in like safety. Yeah. So I was telling a client today, I wrote this down because I wanted to share on the podcast. I share, I was sharing with a client today. You know, I feel like I'm so sorry. It's okay, baby. His phone dropped. My phone dropped. Hopefully it's not broken, but we don't care. Keep <laughs> keep tell us about the Thank tell you. us about the client. Thank you. I was talking to him and uh essentially we're talking about family dynamics not necessarily enmeshment but just family dynamics and um you know i was saying that for most of us our internal sense of worthiness needs to be like 80 percent, and the external needs to be like 20 Right. Mm -hmm. Because we still need it. We're created. We're created for connection and affirmation and we still need it. There's nothing wrong with getting it. When it's all said and done, you'll stand before him and he'll say, well done. And that'll mean something. Yeah, it'll mean. Yeah, exactly. It'll mean something. But without that 20 percent, we still have 80. We still have a lot to run off of. Yeah. And I think for many of us, especially people who struggle with comparative identity, it's flipped. Our internal voice is 20 percent. Maybe 15. (laughs) Our internal uh, source of, rather our source of internally generated opinion about ourselves, is like 20% max. And the rest is 80%. Yeah. The external generation of our worthiness is 80%. And the world is trash, And the world is, it's ever-changing. People are mean. Everyone is basically a seventh grader. You know how mean some graders are. That's a really good assessment. But like, the, yeah, the world is ever changing. The world can be cruel, like, and, and words can deeply affect us. Yeah. But what happens is we end up in this place where we are constantly in need, like literally in need, mm. and through our work, through our God-given purpose, begging people to tell us that they they love us. Yeah. Begging people to tell us that we're worthy. 
begging people to tell us that we're good, right? And reparenting comparative identity is about exiting the narrative of comparing, comparing, wow. Uh, Exiting the narrative of comparison and reparenting ourselves into the idea that there is a truth that withstands any context. There's a truth about who I am that withstands the wind and the waves, that withstands the coldest nights Mm -hmm. and the hottest evenings, whatever it is. You know, like it withstands everything. Yeah. That when the world crumbles, this will still be true about me. Mm-hmm. And just like in our episode about joy, it's it is that peace that the world didn't give it, and so the world can't take it away. Yep, that's how you know whether it's joy or it's happiness. <laughs> yeah, right. And in the same way, like the hope that we have for um, folks as they you know either find themselves uh, as having a comparative identity or are in relationships with folks, like it's the hope is that you find yourself in a place where you can say about yourself, yeah. the world didn't give it and the world, the world can't take, take it, it away. away. Period. Point blank. Period. Per. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we are going to next week hop into how to begin reparenting. Compare. Compar- oh my gosh. My mouth is not working. It's not your fault. It's the kids. Thank you, babe. Comparative identity. Um, if this resonated with you, please share with us. Because again, we made this up. And honestly, this is kind of me doing um, unofficial research from my work with people as they recover from trauma, my interactions with Kyle and with several other people and seeing some commonalities and just kind of creating my own term for it. And um, if it resonates with you, please let me know. Please, please, please let me know. We are so excited to journey with you guys as we reparent. We're so excited that you guys are loving the content and we're so grateful for you guys. Please, please, please rate, review, and subscribe so our podcast can reach as many people. Especially those reviews. I mean, the rating is great, but like the algorithm loves those uh, reviews. So keep them coming. Yeah. You guys are amazing. Thank you guys. Follow us on Instagram, Healing Circle Podcast to stay updated. We share lots of resources there. We'll see you guys next week. Until the circle comes back around. Bye guys. Bye. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to today's episode. If you liked our conversation, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so we can get the word of healing out to as many people as possible. Visit the show notes to stay up to date on our mental health workshops, yearly retreats, Oasis is Bomb, and connect to us on social media. We'll chat with you guys soon until the circle comes back around.